Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Sam Spencer is today's guest on the Tej Talks podcast. Now, you must recognize him. Um, You've probably heard his name somewhere before. It probably rings a bell. And that's because he has a very positive and powerful personal brand. He also has some pretty slick hair. Didn't ask him how he gets it like that, but I should have. Now, he talks today about the harsh realities of running a deal packaging business, how long it actually takes to get paid from your first deal and deals thereon, the stresses and rigors of running a deal packaging business, but also the mindset required to be successful in any aspect of life. And we also briefly touch on why do people go on training courses, spend all this money, all this training, and then don't actually implement it? Hmm, it's an interesting discussion. Here we go. Sam Spencer, welcome to the Ted Talks podcast. Hello, thank you. Look, it's it's a real pleasure to have you to have you on board. I think you're you're quite well known on Facebook and especially in the progressive group. And um, I first sort of saw you when you came on stage at the masterclass, actually, and I didn't know much about you or anything. I think we had a a brief conversation afterwards, um, and I saw your success and thought, wow, this guy's done it. You know, he's young. He's sort of mm-hmm. quit his job and he did it pretty young quickly. Itch. Well, well, you look young. You look young. Um, so, you know, it's good to finally get you on the podcast. I know it's been a bit of a, a pain scheduling things with uh, with both of us, but you know, so happy to have you here. So let's let's get straight into it. So, Sam, I think um, it'd be really interesting to tell people like who you were before property. Like, what's mm-hmm. your pre-property story? Yeah, of course. I mean, firstly, massive thank you for taking your time out and inviting me on the podcast. As I said to you before. When we spoke initially, I'm really excited about getting on my first ever podcast. And then yes. I've listened to all the previous ones. The episodes <laughs> were great. I've got some big acts to follow, um, mm-hmm. which is going to be a challenge, but I'll, I'll do my best. But no, as I said, thank you. In a previous life, I suppose I'm a, I'm a physiotherapist by trade. So mm. um, I went down the conventional education route. I went to university for five years. I got a uh, bachelor's degree. I got a master's. I came out of university after five years and... I was still useless after five years of training as a physio, if I'm honest with you, <laughs> but it's something we can, we can maybe touch on later. Um, I then went straight into professional football for a while before moving into, into private practice. And I worked in private practice for around 12 years. Eight of them years, I worked with a particular company um, and it was a startup company. There's only three or four of us at the time, but it scaled incredibly quickly. I had catastrophic growth and we had over 300 physiotherapists, 200 admin staff, we were UK wide. So as you can imagine, naturally, when you're one of the first in the door, you're pushed into management positions. So I was head of a department, managed over 30 staff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So from these experiences and inevitable challenges, they produce some incredibly valuable learning, which I believe I've been able to transfer into property. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, you know, one of the main lessons for me in physiotherapy, in healthcare, was that no matter where you looked, whether it be Premier League football, whether it be um, private practice, the top, top people at their game were not necessarily the most knowledgeable. They weren't necessarily the ones who had the most experience. They were generally 
awesome communicators. They were incredibly outcome orientated. And don't get me wrong, you know, I think you, you do need some knowledge, obviously, but you can be the best physio, you can be the best business development manager, you can be the best CEO, solicitor, the best person in property. But if you can't communicate your message clearly with honesty, transparency and passion when required, I think it's always going to limit how far you can go regardless of your profession. If that makes sense? Absolutely. And that's, it's a, it's a great, um, it's great that you've raised that so early in the podcast, because I think, you know, looking at your Facebook and looking at how you represent yourself, all the kind of qualities you just mentioned come across without seeming that you're trying to, it's just you being a bloke doing your thing, but all mm. those qualities come across. So I think that's, that, that's, that's a fantastic point. Um, and I think it's something we can all learn from, right? So you did physio for five years, which, my God, that's a long time to be studying. Um, yeah. I could just about deal with three. So then, you, <laughs> so, so why weren't you very good at physiotherapy? Um, I just think it's like, it's like anything. You know, you do lots and lots of training. You get lots and lots of information. But it's about implementing that information. It's about going away and actually applying your trade, which I think is absolutely key. Um, so it's a bit like, I suppose if you use, use an analogy, it's like driving a car, learning to drive a car. Um, you know, we learn to drive a car and you don't really learn properly until you pass. And then you start learning. So it was the same with physiotherapy. I had so much information in my mind. I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to implement it. But then when you start working with other people who've been there, done it, tried different things, got fantastic results, that was one of the key things for me. So my one of my strategies in any industry that I go into is to find the person who I want to model or the person where I want to be. So when I joined this company, as I said, I was there for eight years. The guy who set it up was a Premier League physiotherapist, and he was the best guy that I saw. So I thought, well, to be the best that I can be, I need to be around somebody like that so he can influence me. Everything he does rubs off on me to an extent. Mm. So that's where then I was able to learn more and more on the trade and apply some of the information that I've got. And that's, that's again, a really interesting point. And it seems as though you sort of cottoned on quite early in your life that having, uh, you know, an, a network is your net worth. And that's, I think that's quite unusual. I think most employees or anyone who has a job doesn't, doesn't necessarily think about things like that unless they have a side business or they're planning one. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really interesting to see how early you kind of came up with that um, and that kind of knowledge of what it could give you. So you obviously had a great network, kind of people around you doing the right things, or at least this one sort of the owner of it doing good things. Now, what mm. what kind of got you looking at property and actually thinking, hold on, I've given eight years of my life to this to this company. You know, I want to jump ship into property. What what was that kind mm -hmm. of moment that you discovered it? Well, I've I've always been interested in property, and I've actually been a landlord for about three years. Um, I did everything wrong, as we all do, you know. <laughs> but and, and it was purely due to the hours. So because I was head of a department, the corporate world that I lived in, I never had the time to be able to do anything really related to property because it was a national role as well. We were UK wide, so I was clocking up a thousand miles in a week. So Damn. you know, I was staying overnight in hotels. That was my life. I never had time to. To, to implement um, anything else, any other strategies, any other uh, side hustles or anything like that, you know. And I'm a bit of I'm a bit of an all or nothing sort of person. If I want to do something, I want to do it right, and I want to give it my all and have no mm. regrets. And 
you know, it was, it was something I just didn't have time to do. Then in, in the spring of last year, so 2017, I changed my role and it gave me a little bit more free time on my evenings and weekends. And firstly, I started educating myself and then I, we started up the business. So I suppose that note, education, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day, I'm going off a bit of a rant here, I had a conversation <laughs> with someone the other day and I think it's absolutely key education, right? I've just said that my three to five years in university were absolutely key in what I did. And I think uh, training and, and education in property is absolutely the same. It's key. But I do believe that people have a bit of a misunderstanding and a misconception of training mm-hmm. in that I did five years training as a physiotherapist. And as I said, when I came out of university, I was hopeless. When I passed my driving test after several hours training, I was hopeless. You know, I passed university, I could barely walk and talk at the same time, you know? <laughs> and, and I think no matter what your profession, whether you're um, a doctor, a plumber, a builder, you work in a warehouse, which is why I used to do that as well, by the way, mm-hmm. there's an element of training. It's yeah. not just a couple of days, it's normally months. It's normally years of ongoing training alongside you doing work. So it does frustrate me that people do a weekend course and to clarify, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the course itself or the act of doing the course. I actively encourage doing education, but the people then beat themselves up after six months mm. when they've not made it in their head, whatever that means. You know, they, they then blame external people. They, they blame the course. You know, it's like, it's like blaming McDonald's for putting on weight. You know, they didn't force you to do it, <laughs> you know, or they, t- or, or they do the course, they take on a huge project and they wonder why they have issues and things go wrong. And they, then again, blame external factors. Now, you know, listen, I didn't qualify as a physiotherapist and go and work for Real Madrid and treat <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo on day one. You know, you had to implement the knowledge, you had to gain experience, earn respect, and your way up. So in my belief system, why should property, why should the property industry be any different? You know, I think... Some people need a bit of a reality check. We live in a world of instant gratification. It doesn't exist in 99.9% of people. And the majority of overnight successes have been at it 10 years. You just haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen the work behind the scenes. But that's what I'm trying to do and what a lot of people are trying to do with social media. Show people the relentless work that's required to meet your goals. So I suppose my message is you've got to be patient. You've got to educate yourself, but you've got to implement your knowledge at your current level of understanding. So the knowledge is useless unless you go and implement it and reinforce it. But there are these people that go from 0 to 100, they sprint, and we all know you can't sprint forever. So they they scale it back down, they lose focus. But at the other end of the spectrum, you've then got the people that do nothing but training. So you, you know these people, Ted. There's comfort yeah. in courses. Mm-hmm. Some people play at the industry, and they need to go and implement what they've learned. Same as other industries. Physio, we did placements in hospitals. In the building trade, you maybe work alongside your work, or you learn alongside your work, or you have an apprenticeship. But people feel like they never know enough in property. And the reality is that feeling never goes, ever. And you need to understand that you're already an expert in what you already know. So go and do something. And, and the thing that education's done for me, it gave me belief. It gave me belief I could do it. It gave me belief in my abilities, belief in what I already knew. And I believe that everybody is unique and many of the qualities we possess, 
you know, we take for granted. We think everybody can do this. It's just normal. Well, you're wrong. It's not normal. Everybody has strengths. Everybody has weaknesses. And this belief that the training gave me increased my potential to be successful, which then ultimately flowed into my actions. So I would go out and take loads of action, regardless of the way I was feeling at the time. But I would go into tasks with a perceived level of confidence. I'd go into tasks with a certain body language, with a certain tone of voice. And this level of action obviously creates results. And then guess what that does? It then reinforces your beliefs. And then the cycle starts again. So mm-hmm. what, what we're touching on briefly is mindset, I suppose. And what yeah. nobody's going to tell you, no one's going to tell anybody, is that, and what, um, and what I didn't fully understand, I was in this position as well when I first started within property, that the journey you go on is going to require incredible levels of emotional growth on a daily basis because you've got to become the person worthy of the goals you set out to achieve. That's why, as I said, we're broadcasting what we do because it's not all unicorns and high fives. The reality is there are challenges and there are so many people out there, me included, you included, we've got huge, huge goals and that's great, but they're only words. So what I see, like you said, I did masterclass. Um, I talk on the Masopis. I've spoken on masterclass as well before and I speak to the guys about this when I'm there. Very frequently, People have big goals, but very frequently you see their action taking or their actions towards these goals are totally incongruent because it's so easy to talk themselves out of what they need to do. They're too tired. They've got admin to do. They need to clean the kitchen. They've got to walk the dog. They don't feel well. You understand what I mean? So what, what people need to understand is they're not a laptop lifestyle. It's 24-7 graft every day. You're literally pushing your boulder up a hill, getting punched in the face metaphorically speaking, Mm -hmm. every day. And that's why it's so important that you try and have people around you that hold you accountable for your actions because it's so easy for us to to check out. Does that make sense? Sam, all I can say is preach. Brother, (laughs) preach. I did say say this, but I was was rant, so I apologise. No, no, no. (laughs) Listen, that, that is very, very valuable. And I think I haven't got anything to add because you've covered it well, but I think the reasons people don't take action is is what you said, instant gratification. My headphones broke yesterday at at 2 p.m. I went on Amazon. I had new ones by 6 p.m. I yeah. mean, Sam, can I have a million pound property portfolio by 6 p.m., please? Like, that's yeah. that's the kind of lifestyle we're living. Secondly, and people... if you know how to do that, will you tell me? <laughs> uh, oh, I, don't, I don't know, you know. I might have to keep that one to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, people just don't want things badly enough. If you want something... Go and get it. Simple. Um, three, people are lazy. That's just the, the world we live in, right? So I'm glad you touched on that early because there's a lot of value in what you just said. So let's let's briefly jump back to your story so people have a nice timeline of you. So you were in this company, you discovered property, you went to the progressive masterclass, you then so what what so tell us what is your business and what did it start off as in property? Okay, so it's, it's me and my business partner. My business partner's name is Edward Pacey. You may have seen him in the in the community as well. Yeah, He's yeah. an architect, ah, okay. um, which obviously lends itself well to our uh, to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so our current um, service model is deal packaging, ultimately. So essentially, um, we provide bespoke property investments, predominantly in the northeast of England, to professionals. And the aim of that... Um, is to help them achieve financial security. So 
the, the value in what we provide is very much down to the needs and the individual, the, the needs and requirements of that individual. So we sit down with them and then we discuss their goals, names and what they're trying to achieve. Um, and then we, we then look at making their money ultimately work better for them. So as you said, um, to achieve that, we provide a service-based model whereby we source, project manage, and um, we also manage the lettings of the property. But that, that, that was never what we set out to do. Mm-hmm. But that's what we do now. Okay, so, you, so you're deal packaging to, to give it a kind of title, right? Yes. So, you know, in the towns you're investing in, which is Durham, am I right, is one of them? Yeah, so we're, at, we're around Darlington, we're around County Durham. So a three-bed for an investor, how, how much is the purchase price, roughly? Um, we, we pick up three bed properties, anything between 40 and 60 K. And so if, if I got one off you for 40 K, what would it potentially revalue at? Cause I'm guessing they're in not the best condition. Are you kind of doing the BRR model for investors? Yeah. I mean, a, again, it, it varies from person to person, you know, and I'm probably going to shatter a few dreams here. You know, we're not, we're not doing, um, all money out deals every day of the week you know, the, the, the unicorn deals in, in the current marketplace, in, in my opinion, um, it's, it's definitely down to um, the needs and the wants of that individual person. So we'll sit down with them, we'll discuss what, what, they, um, what they want to do. But yes, we tend to pick up properties between 40 and 60k. Um, normally, there's a refurb to be done. Um, generally speaking, some of them will revalue up to around 80,000. Wow. So you know, you're leaving, you know, between five and 10 K in some, in some instances. However, some people we work with don't want to refinance their properties. They don't want to have big refurbs to, to oversee or, or to be told about. They just want a better return on their money. Mm. So we work with two distinct different people. Okay. And it, it's crazy to hear house prices at £40,000. I mean, I live in London with my parents and I think, Forty thousand pounds is probably how much the drive costs. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's definitely a, a lower entry point there, which is good for you because it generates more business. It gets kind of maybe more everyday investors in, right? Um, but I just want to go back to something you said that this is not necessarily what you intended the business to be from the start. So what did you plan it to be? Yeah. So is it okay if if I, I give you a bit more background? Absolutely. Go for it. So. Um, as I said, our business operates predominantly in the northeast of England. Um, and it's for a number of reasons. So first, all of my family lived there. And I lived there for a number of years as well, even though I'm in Leicester now. This is similar to my business partner, Ed. His business as an architect has seen him work all over Yorkshire and the northeast. So he's got a really good understanding of the area as well. Additionally, there's a huge rental culture in our areas of Darlington, County Durham, 10 to 15% higher than the rest of the UK. Wow, okay. But unfortunately, it's thought that 30 to 40% of the rental properties on the market are not up to a livable standard. That's shocking. So our vision, which is the same as it is now, regardless of the model, was always to create beautiful family homes for young couples and young families. So we're ultimately raising the standards of living in our area. Mm-hmm. So as I said, our current service-based model was not the initial plan. The plan initially was to acquire properties ourselves. And we set with the business. We had two deals going through, which took forever, by the way. <laughs> no one told us that was going to happen. It took yeah. ages, months and months and months with a solicitor. 
And long story short, they both ended up falling through. On one, the JV partner pulled out. And second one, the vendor pulled out. So as this was going on in the background, because it took so long, we're out there, we're building relationships. We'd set ourselves certain KPIs or key performance indicators to complete a certain number of viewings, a certain number of meetings per week, while simultaneously broadcasting via social media. So as we built relationships with agents, with vendors, we were being passed more and more deals that, if I'm honest, at the time, we just couldn't financially cater for. And we probably had a limiting belief system at the time as well about borrowing money. But the bottom line is we couldn't financially cater for them. We also had people contacting us, asking us what we were doing in the area. Could they get involved because they saw what we were doing via social media? So we thought, well, what could we do? We had a bit of a light bulb moment. We didn't want to let the agents and vendors down. Similarly, we had demand from investors. So we bought the two together and we started selling some deals. And that was it to start with. We just sold a couple of deals and that was that. And then someone said to us, listen, I'm based in London. Geographically, it's going to be a nightmare for me to manage the refurb. Could you do it? And at the time, we'd never thought about that. So it was like, well, yeah, of course we can. With um, you know, my project management skills of managing large teams and Ed's, Ed's architectural skills, it was quite an easy transference of skill. So to this point, to this point where we are now, where we've got a fantastic relationship with a local letting agent, which then allows us to provide a fully hands-free service for our clients. So that's ultimately where we've come from. The first deal that we did, it's probably difficult to identify the first one we did because of the challenges that we had. But I do remember one early on. As I said, we tend to pick properties up between 40 and 60K. This one was no different. We picked it up just over 50K. It needed a full refurb, which was about 10K. And actually, which was a surprise to us and a delight to us at the same time, it rented out before it even hit the market. Wow. So it was a crazy stage whereby we had a, on the day of the, um, the, the tenants wanting to move into the property, we had the builders walking out of the front door and the tenants walking in, which is absolutely awesome, by the way. Mm. But we didn't get any pictures, which was a nightmare. So <laughs> I suppose there's there every cloud and there's pros and cons and whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's that's ideal. You know, in, in every kind of property investor's head, it's like, yep, builder walks out, tenant walks in, sorted, hand, hands off, kind of done. So that's that's really interesting. And I think the way it came together for you was so... It was like it was fate to use a really mm. cheesy word. It's like you had this, you thought, oh, let's do this. You had this, you thought it. It just kind of fell into place, which like is the best way. Because I think new property investors, we often kind of think, oh, what am I going to do? What if this happens? What's that situation? But actually, sometimes like for you, it can just fall into place and then you know what you're doing and you kind of roll with it. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I'd love to talk about deal packaging more because I think it's often sold and talked about as a very quick to cash um, and good cash flowing way of um, making money. So I'd love to kind of know, like, you know, how difficult is it? Like, give me the warts and all of deal packaging and, and let all the listeners know the, the realistic side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a business, right? It's a business. It's like any other business. To get a business off the ground, no matter what you're trying to do, we had it in physiotherapy. For us to go to three, to over 500 employed staff, there was challenges every day. And it's no different in deal packaging. 
you know, you're you're trying to sell a product. And I think this is where people get confused as well. A lot of the time, you're not selling the property. You're selling the emotion. You're selling the feeling. You're selling the feeling of certainty, the feeling of um, significance, the feeling of giving back this person gets. So a lot of people buy with emotion. So that's why we're big on social media. A lot of people work with us because they like what they see. Because there's lots and lots of deal packages out there. Why would someone come and work with me rather than somebody else? A lot of people can get 10% in the marketplace or whatever figures you get in. I think there's something else aside from that. Look at Apple. And I'll probably get shouted out for saying this. Apple, in my belief, is not the best phone and from a technological perspective out there. There's a lot of better phones. But people buy into the brand. It makes them feel a certain way. All right. So I think people get confused from that sense. Um, If I'm going to be honest with you, it's hard as nails. It's absolutely hard as nails. You know, you've got to be congruent day in, day out. You've got to be um, working day in, day out. You've got to be building relationships. You've got to be stepping outside of your comfort zone, traveling around the UK, meeting people face to face. Um, It's not all about, you know, let's do an hour a day, this laptop lifestyle. It's not like that. It's a challenge, you know. And I think that that comes down to a top tip as well. If you're not obsessed and passionate about business and property, don't bother because you won't be able to stick it because when you're not making money, somebody's got to keep you going. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people hit the ground running and they earn money from, from, from day dot. For the majority of people out there, it's not like that. It takes time to build a business. You look at the stats on businesses generally, the majority of them don't get past year one. The majority of the ones that get past year one don't get past year two. Why should it be any different? It's hard, all right? I've spo- I spoke to a lot, a, lot of, a lot of people about it as well because I'm probably the most impatient man in the world and I want everything yesterday. I want instant gratification, but you don't get it. And I think one of the things that really helped me with this is, is the gym. And people may have seen my videos about me talking about the gym and I do it because there's such transferable skills from the gym into business and real life, it's unreal, all right? So if you want a six-pack, you want to be in better shape, you want to run a marathon, you don't go out for one run or go to the gym once and wake up in the morning and look in the, look in the mirror and have abs or you don't run a marathon. It takes weeks and months, sometimes years to get where you want to be, yeah? Mm-hmm. When I go into the gym, I will fail every time I go into the gym. Well, that, that builds my mindset resilience because I'm going in there to positively fail. I'm going in there because I can't do any more. Therefore, let me transition that into property. I know that it's not going to be an overnight thing. I know that I'm going to fail. But it's not about the process of failure. It's how you deal with the failure. It's how solution-focused you are. It's how you communicate. It's about being honest and transparent about when you do have challenges and dealing with them head-on. And I think that's really, really important. Making them difficult calls. When something goes wrong, you've got to be transparent and make difficult calls. And I think people shy away from it. When the going gets tough, people bury their head in the sand. You've got to be open, honest, and transparent. And I think if you do that... People will buy into you. People know there's going to be challenges, but they just want to know that you've got a grip of it and you're sorting it out for them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, great points. And I think it's good you mentioned the gym. Um, I, ho- I hope everyone saw your uh, selfie today at the gym, <laughs> <laughs> showing, showing everyone your quads. Um, I think, you know what, the gym for me, and I wrote an article about this the other day, is something that like has given me such mindfulness. Like I used to get so angry, so emotional. I thought I was rational. I probably wasn't. And then, you know, going to the gym and being a lot more mindful with the movement and feeling the contraction, focusing your mind on the physical muscle for me has somehow, without even thinking about it, transformed my mindset in business and in life Mm. just from feeling contractions when I'm doing back. Now, that sounds really simple and really kind of like, huh? But like, you know it, I know people know it, right? And it, it happens. So, I think people need to find their gym, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a bloke called gym who helps you out with mindfulness. It could be the gym. Um, but whatever it is, people need to find something to to, to just, be, I think, be mindful and be thoughtful and control yeah. your emotions yeah. in business. Now, I think, go on. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think, I think physical activity in general, you don't have to go to the gym. Go for a walk, do some jumping jacks, do a few press-ups. It makes no difference. You know, I honestly believe that your physiology drives your psychology. We all have down days we all have days where things are not working for us we can't concentrate the best thing you can do at that time is go and do something physical that rush of endorphins will change your state quickly and then come back to what you were doing before so i think that's so important but if you're going to talk about health and fitness it doesn't have to be gym related but without that you know what's the point in being successful yeah Absolutely, of course. You're gonna get all Whatever this wealth. Success means to you. Well, yeah, you're gonna get all this wealth, all this happiness, and you might just, you know, die early or so something really kind of um, bleak like that, right? So, completely agree with you. Now, I really want, I want to go back to, to kind of what you were saying about deal packaging. Now, it, maybe I have trust issues, but when I see people packaging deals, even if I know them, you know, even if I think seem like good people, I always am not as trusting with them. You know, like I'm always still just like, mm, is it going to work out? Is it, you know, I do my due diligence. I have my spreadsheet. I make sure the deal stacks because a lot of sources, it doesn't stack. So mm-hmm. I make sure it stacks. But what are your tips for deal packages and people who are getting into it to kind of build trust with people? Because it's not easy because there's a lot of money we're playing with and talking about. And even sourcing fees are still a lot of money to some people, to, to a lot mm-hmm. of people. So how can someone build trust and how have you built trust sort of out of the blue? I think that's probably a mental block you've got, mm-hmm. Tej, in, <laughs> in your trust issues. But no, no, I totally, I totally, I totally agree with you. And I think um, visibility is my main thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're visible and you're visibly out doing things, people can see what you're doing. Um, you know, subconsciously, people get to know you. So I go to property events sometimes, and people will come up and talk to me and I can't remember who they are. I've never met them before. And that's not me being big headed or or whatever you want to call it, but that's just because they've seen me on Facebook before. They've seen me on the progressive group. Mm -hmm. So people feel like they know you. All right. So being transparent about what you're doing, being visible, if you're not visible on social media now, I mean, Go just go and listen to some Gary Vaynerchuk podcast. If you're not visible on social media now, you're not pushing social media for your brand. I don't know what you're doing at the moment. So he's massively into that and being visible, being credible, and also broadcasting what you do. So going through the talking through the challenges that you have, talking through the solutions that that you 
um, you came upon or you, you talked through with your investors, going through case studies, you know, so people start to get in trust in you. Um, but I totally understand that. You know, we spend time with investors as well. And when somebody rings me and says they want to invest, it's rarely just a phone call they buy and that's done. You know, I spend a lot of time with these people. I spend a lot of time on the phone with them. If they're local face-to-face, we spend a lot of time building rapport. We spend a lot of time getting to know each other because the bottom line is they might not like me and might not want to work with me regardless of the numbers and vice versa. You know, we can choose who we do and don't want to work with. Um, We get to know these people incredibly well. I want to know about their life aspirations. I want to know about their goals. I want to know about what they want to achieve not just the figures, because generally the figures are inevitable. If you get the right property in the right area, but what are they trying to achieve? That's the key thing for me. So I spend a lot of time talking to people, building rapport, face-to-face with them. A lot of the time they'll then come up. We maybe show them around the area. You know, We show them the hotspots. We show them where we wouldn't invest and the reasons why. We show them the main areas for work. That's what we try to do, whether that's right or wrong. It's worked for us so far, but I just believe that, you know, um, networking these days is via social media. You know, everything that you're doing, you've got to be showing people the behind the scenes, what it truly takes, what you're going through, what you're doing for your investors. Visibility equals credibility for me. Yeah, no, again, excellent points. I think the, the key takeaways from that are, personal branding which is important you don't have to have a name you don't have to have a color um but you just have to be known for something um and it's interesting about the social media thing because i think two of our friends um aaron mr sunshine and mr sunshine state of mind yes you know say the same thing as you they both have very visible credible online brands and they're having the same sort of success as you right so you know if people people are listening go back and listen to those podcasts you know, and I'm giving you three examples of how social media, you know, that Facebook, the thing people use to look at cat videos is yeah. generating hundreds of thousands of pounds in investment in funding for, for these people on my podcast. Yeah. Right. So everyone listening, like check out Sam's profile because he posts all sorts of stuff. But that's him. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? That That is you. Um, And I think the visibility equals credibility, again, is fantastic because if you're not out there posting that you're on viewings or you're kind of doing things or you're doing refurbs, then how are people going to know? Right. Mm. Um, and people are quite shy about that. Like, Oh, I don't want to post what I'm doing because of it. And again, I think it's, it's a self-limiting belief. It's like, just post it, see what happens. Like one of my yeah. friends actually said, Oh, I don't, I don't post stuff on my personal Facebook because like people will know about the property stuff. And we turned around to him and said, what are you doing? Like all of us are so active on, on um, Facebook. How how dare you? Like we fully had a go at him. And he was like, oh, okay. Went home, thought about it, put something out. Someone approached him and said, here's X amount of money. I'd like to invest with you. And it was like mm-hmm. case in point, right? So that's good. Social media definitely works. Now, when it comes to... So you obviously offer the full package, turnkey, kind of end-to-end, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Now, finding good builders is... A headache for most people so how have you managed to get a team that will work with you to the standards you want to the timelines you want like how have mm-hmm. you built that yeah i think um if anybody listened to aaron's podcast before i think um he talked a bit a little bit about builders didn't he mm-hmm. uh, had a yeah. few challenges <laughs> his end yeah but i think um it's unless you're within the trades already, I think it's inevitable. I mean, we had a little bit of um, an advantage in that 
Ed's an architect. So he knew a few people. Um, that's not to say it went well initially. I think we had to kiss a few frogs until we went uh, and we got the right person in. And it's not just about the, the work for me. It's about the person themselves and how they communicate. I, again, regardless of the challenge that we have in the business, regardless of the challenge that we had in the previous business, the physio business, regardless of the challenges in our personal lives, I believe it all boils down to communication. If you were to track it back or reverse engineer it, the plane didn't crash for no reason. It crashed because there was a breakdown in communication. And that was maybe our issue to start with in that we made some assumptions that builders would do things to what we wanted them to do. But it's crazy because how would they know what's in my mind without going to tell them, without going to spend time with them, without um, managing their expectations and putting, setting my stall out and saying, listen, um, I want a plug socket in a certain place because you know, I thought it was, it was just common sense. You'd put a plug socket in a certain place. It's not, obviously, because um, that's what we found out. You know, we, we took um, our build team to um, you know, the trades places, looked at kitchens that we would like, looked at bathrooms we would like. We looked at the standard we wanted to achieve. We talked to them about communication. We, we mapped out our expectations for them, and we told them what to expect for us. And again, we didn't have... Um, you know, fantastic experiences initially, but now we've got a, a couple of guys on board who are absolutely fantastic. They communicate with us exceptionally well. If they have a challenge, they're on the phone straight away. We can deal with it immediately, which is what we want. We know there's going to be challenges, but it's how you deal with it, as I said before, which is absolutely pertinent for us, for the investor we're working with as well, because we treat it as our, heart, as our house as well. Although it's not I always think if that was my investment, how would I feel? And we want to provide, we want to strive to provide a world-class service for our investors. It's all about customer service for us. It's all about communication. So going back to your point and your question, we had to kiss a few frogs. Mm -hmm. um, we, we had to vet, interview, whatever you want to call it. A few people try them out. Um, but over a, over a period of time, we've now got a couple of fantastic guys on board with us. Awesome. And you know what? I forgot to ask something earlier about your deal packaging. So I'd love to quantify the kind of um, hard work slash path to success. So let's take day zero is when you started um, deal packaging and sourcing properties. How long in days or months did it take for you to see any form of income? When I say income, I mean cash at bank, cash in hand from that business. Yeah. Um, great question. We, inc we incorporated our, our business in June or July uh, 2017. I think, I think it was around then months. Um, I would say up until maybe November, December, November time, maybe nothing, nothing at all. Um, and it was just literally us setting the foundations of what we were doing. So some people have instant success. Some people it takes longer. Um, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't. It, you don't have to compare yourself to other people. Everyone has different entry points. Everyone has different experiences. Everyone has different contacts. It's not about oh well, they did it faster than me. I'm not successful. It's not about that. It's about you. And as long as you're doing the right things continually, they will compound over time. Um, and it's just a matter of time. And it took a few months for us to really get going. As I said, because. One, we did change and pivot strategy as well. Mm. 
that's that's good to hear, I think, because it kind of gives a more realistic expectation to people. And I know you said it's not about comparing, but it's good to yeah. know that actually you as a real person in the real world in 2018, 2017, it, it still took that long. And obviously where you are now compared to then, it's it's doing fantastic. So let's let's talk about now. So, you know, how many deals are you successfully selling a month or have you been selling per month? It's difficult to say. It fluctuates. All right. Um, we're doing. We've we've done four this week. You know. So we've got four. We've got four, four going in a through. week. Yeah. Yeah. So we've done four in a week. You know. Damn. That's not. That's not normal for us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's difficult to say. Oh well, we did one, two, three, four a month. You'd have to average it out over that time. Um, since we properly started deal packaging, you know. Um, and again, was it November, December time? Something around that. We've probably done 15, something like that, plus these four. Um, so we've got four going through at the moment. All are hands-free investors, um, but very, very different investors with very, very different needs, as I touched on before. So they're not all all money out deals. We don't do them every day. The truth is you've got to have an in-depth understanding of the investor, their specific needs, not your own, believe it or not. Not everybody who wants all money out deals. They want to see their money not eroding in the bank. They want to be able to retire with a level of certainty. They want to make the hard-earned money work for them. You know, So it's really crucial that you get to know your target client or your target customer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's quite interesting you touched on the kind of different types of investors. I think a lot of businesses have, I don't know what the official name is, but like profiles for their customers. So you've got Tom, Dick, Harry, Jessica, Sarah, whatever, and they kind of draw them and they put their likes and their dislikes and they build up a profile of them so they can market to them effectively. And so it looks like you've done that from experience, right? So I think that's a great tip for everyone, not just for deal packaging, but for any business and any brand, you know, know who your listeners are or your your viewers, your fans, because you can target them effectively. So Sam, it sounds like business is going pretty well, right? And um, if I'm not mistaken, you quit your job recently, am I right? Yes, I did. Congratulations, big, big milestone. Um, So I'd love to touch on that because I know you know people it's very difficult to leave a job it's very difficult i think the longer you've spent in employment the more difficult it is to leave a job right um and especially the older we get kids mortgage family looking after parents you know all this kind of stuff just piles up right so for you what was how did you know it was the right time for you to quit your job how did you know you know what this is taking too much time i need to give property my all and i'm ready for it I think it just came to a point whereby um, we we weren't able to scale in the position that we're in. So, you know, I was still working what I would consider long hours. So we were working evening and weekends, every evening and weekend. So we were um, not only continuing and maintaining our viewings, we had projects on the go that we were managing. So we had to project manage them closely. We were updating, speaking to regularly our current investors. We were going out and speaking to new investors about investing in the business. So there just became a point whereby we had to scale things back in our full-time job, in our full-time jobs to be able to continue to provide the level of service that we wanted to. Um, with our investors and a lot of the times we've had to hold ourselves back to an extent because it would have been very very easy just to scale but I think it would have been at the detriment of the level of service that we provide people 
And mm-hmm. that's absolutely crucial for me. I'd rather deal with a, a set few investors, provide them a fantastic service. And one of our key performance indicators is repeat business. So secondary referrals, tertiary referrals, when that person does business with us again, when that person refers me their friend, their family member, you've done something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's a lot cheaper to to have repeat business than it is to go out and acquire new business in time and cost and everything, right? It's the it's like the cornerstone of, of you know, having a long term business is that repeat customer is having repeat Definitely. customers, right? Yes. So yeah. when you quit your job, what was the one thing what was the one fear, if, if any, that you had or one challenge that you thought, OK, I don't know how I'm going to handle this? Um, I, th- I think fear is inevitable. You know, it's, it's an absolute roller coaster. And again, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be transparent. Um, it's not for the faint hearted. You go through elements of fear every day. As I said, there's challenges every day. You get punched in the face every day. And that's just normal. I think if you're going to have a balanced view on things, though, if you're going to consider what is the worst case scenario, you've also got to consider what is the best case scenario. And going back to what I said before, if you believe in yourself and your your self-talk is positive, it's going to come through in your potential, in your actions, in the results that you get. So as it stands now, I don't really have time for negative self-talk. I, I go through a process of, right, I'm having negative self, self-talk. I will snap out of it. I grab it. I stop it. I go and do some physical activity. I have a different thought. I discard it and I get back to what I need to do. And that doesn't mean I don't have bad days. We all have bad days where we don't want to do things. But the key thing is in them times, you've still got to take action. I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you've got a cold. don't care if your dog's ill. You've got to go and be congruent with your actions if you want to meet the goals that you say that you do. So they were the challenges. Obviously, there's other inevitable challenges in going um, full-time self-employed as a business owner because – Regardless of your previous role, you would have had a level of accountability to a manager, an MD. I manage my own diary, but you were still expected to work a certain amount of time in a certain amount of days. So now you're working for yourself and you've gone from a very um, from a mindset of I'm I've done a 60 hour week. You used to hear people brag about it. I did a 60 hour week last week, a 70 hour week last week, like it's a, a badge of honor. Whereas in the self-employed world, it's about productivity. So you can work 70-hour weeks all you like, but if you are productive for an hour of them 70 hours, you've just wasted your time. It's really, really important that in the time that you do work, that you're productive. And that was a key shift for me because everybody goes through energy peaks and troughs during the day. My lower energy point during the day is around 2 p.m., so at 2 p.m. I go to the gym because that's where I know that I'm not going to do my best work on the business. Whereas my better times are 6, 6.30 to about 12-ish. So I will do all my higher value tasks then. Then I'll go to the gym at 2-ish. And I don't feel guilty about that. But I think a lot of people do. They feel that if they're not working on their business 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they feel guilty about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I still work incredibly long hours. However, they're productive hours. If I get to a stage whereby I feel I'm not productive in what I'm doing, I do something else. 
go away, do something different and come back to it. Good. Great. I love that. Um, little plug for myself. I've actually done videos on everything you just mentioned um, on my YouTube and my Ted Talks Facebook. Awesome. So everyone check it out. But, Almost um, like we've spoken about that before. I, I know. It sounds so planned. <laughs> um, so I think it's, it, it's an interesting one. I've been self-employed for two and a half plus years, I think. And wow, you know, working from home alone and kind of thinking you need to fit this schedule of like nine to five, you know, it, it drives you crazy. It, like it really does. So it's good you've mentioned that. Like people, don't be afraid to like, you know, if you want to play FIFA at 10 a.m. just to get a break, like do it. If you need that mentally, do it. Like just do what you need to do. Um, So in terms of, I guess, going self-employed, is there like an app or a platform or software or something that you can't live without now? Um, I've been recently using um, the Pomodoro technique mm-hmm. quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and that's worked really well for me. I don't know if anybody, um, if anybody knows about that. Essentially, um, it's an app on your phone whereby um, it manages your time. So it's a time management method. It uses a timer and it breaks your work down into intervals. So you have a work period of 25 minutes. It's followed by a three to five minute set break. That's then repeated four times. So four Pomodoros, which then completes a set and you have a 15 to 20 minute break. So I've found this really helpful to focus my work time so I don't get lost in social media or I don't get lost in other meaningful, um, meaningless tasks. Um, I use an app, as I said, but I think there are lots of websites you can use as well. But I suppose the, the, the thing working from home for me, um, it can be a challenge. And things that I've learned are, as you said, you've got to be strategic about your location of work. So working from home itself can come with a whole host of distractions. It can lead to poor productivity. Additionally, if you mix your work location with the place you relax, you can fall into the trap of being unable to switch off from work. So if you are going to work from home, I believe you have a designated area or you have an office where you can shut the door and concentrate in the office or you can shut the door, come out of it, and then you've shut off for work. Um, as I said, we've, we've talked about before working from home and you must have experienced it as well. It can lead you to not moving for the majority of the day. So you sit there all day. And I think it's important that, that we... Um, that we do move around, we think about our physical health, we do have bad days, take small steps, continue moving forward regardless of the way you feel, have patience, there's no instant gratification, you know, Um, like you said, I think um, one of the challenges as well, not everybody's like you, and not everybody will have the same opinion as you, Um, and they'll tell you why you shouldn't do this, and why you shouldn't do that, and why this won't work, and why that won't work, but you've got to remember that's their perception based on their own experiences and their own belief systems. Have they been in your position? And ultimately, are they qualified to give you an opinion? Would you take advice from someone about climbing Mount Everest who's never done it themselves? Probably not. Probably not. But going back to what you said, you've got to create routine. And I think you've got to be accountable to somebody as well. Um, the routine for me, the, the Pomodoro technique has been massively beneficial. It's only small, uh, a small thing, but it's massively beneficial and scheduling my time along my flow of energy. So I know I get my best done in the morning. 
I'll then go to the gym at two-ish and then um, early afternoon. So, you know, three, four-ish onwards, something like that. That's when I'm back firing on all cylinders again. I'll be on calls from then. I'll be speaking to investors, you know, uh, meeting people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Great. And I think that's really helpful having a routine for, for anyone who's self-employed or thinking about it. It's you really, you know, you jump off a cliff when you leave your job and you kind of think, uh, where's my schedule? What am I doing? Who's who's kind of keeping me accountable? So no, excellent point. So that may, I think we could talk for hours. Um, <laughs> I think I think we need to do another podcast, maybe like a special just focused on mindset or Sounds or good. something. So, you know, we're, we're reaching the end of the podcast. I think I've got I've got one more sort of open question for you then we'll go into the quick fire round so really briefly and and answer this how you like focus on whatever you want what are your thoughts on the property market in your areas that you invest in great question um i believe that our area is great and i truly truly believe that what we're doing is having a hugely positive impact on the community as i said there's huge rental culture in our area. A lot of people don't want to own their home. And even if they do, they get stuck in a catch-22 situation of not being able to rent and save to buy at the same time. So for those who do want to own their home, we can look at more creative strategies. You know, We can employ more creative things. We can look at tenant buyers, which is something we're currently exploring. Um, but there's a lot going on in our, in our area. The HS2 is going to be stopping there if it ever if it ever starts and to be produced. <laughs> yep. um, HS2 will stop there when it's done, which is going to lead to massive regeneration. There's large businesses building huge warehouses up there. There's an Amazon um, factory being created, which will go live next year. That's going to create another three to 4,000 jobs in our area. So Hitachi are up there, massive, massive um, Japanese firm, and they've put in... Um, they've tendered for the contract to make the trains for the HS2, and the contract's 2.7 billion. That'll create hundreds more jobs as well. So it's a really exciting area. And what it boils down to for me is we're having a positive impact on our community. We're creating a movement to improve the standard of living in our area. In the meantime, we're getting some fantastic results for our investors. Mm-hmm. Good. That's really interesting. And I think I like how you focus on the sort of moral, ethical aspect of property investment, because at the end of the day, with any business, Nike, Apple, Android, you know, whatever it is, every business solves a meaningful problem. And I think that's where real success comes from. And by the sounds of things, you are solving a meaningful problem. And that's going to give you all the success you want, right? So, Sam, we've reached the last part of the podcast. So, this is the quick fire round, which I've kind of briefed you on, but we kind of switched it last minute, so this could be fun. So, you know what? I think I need like an intro to the quick fire round, like the quick fire round, right? So, <laughs> here we go. So, the first thing I want to know is, you listen to podcasts. Everyone who's listening to this one listens and is subscribed and has left me a review, I hope. Yes. So, um, what are your top three favorite podcasts? Great question. I go through I go through phases and I listen to different things at different times. Obviously, I'm going to give you a shout out, Tej. What an amazing job you're doing, by the way. You've had some fantastic guests on the show so far, and it's just going from strength to strength. So I always listen to your stuff. So thank you for doing that. Um, my main one at the moment is called the MF CEO, and that's by a guy called Andy Frizzella um, in America. And 
he he's pretty much just a no-nonsense businessman. He tells you exactly how it is, um, how he's done things, the realities of business, the challenge that he's the challenges that he goes through and continues to go through. Um, and it just almost makes you feel oh, if he's going through it and he's got a multi, multi, multi-million pound business, then these things are okay. And you can transition a lot of what he says into your into your life and your business as well. So Andy Frizzell is number one, and obviously yourself. And the last one would be Impact Theory by Tom Bilyeu. So um, obviously Andy Frazella is quite specific to um, the supplement market in America. However, what he talks about is transferable between different businesses. But the Impact Theory has a great blend of business people, motivation, um, you know, things that are health related as well. So I like listening to that because there's great things you can take away and implement into your your personal life, your business life, whatever it may be. Good. I love Andy Frisella. He is the real MFCO. Like he just yes. he just for everyone listening, yes. he literally shouts at you down down your he- headphones, and he like tells you off and he's aggressive. But my God, it works. Like it's incredible like he's he's just amazing cool he's amazing and i, and I was going to go up at andy frizzella and start shouting and swearing about <laughs> it, but it may it may not suit your audience yeah i don't so think it I would won't. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so and then i'd like to an interesting one is what are the top three things in your life that you think have significantly contributed to your success anything okay so um i think i've touched on a couple of them already um number one the gym not only does it help me um, develop mindset resilience. I stay fit and healthy, and it's a release for me as well, where I don't think about work, um, and I can I can stay in the zone, so to speak. Number two would be a supportive partner. I speak to um, a lot of people out there, regards the business they're in, going along this self-employment entrepreneurial journey. And as I say, it's not for the faint-hearted. It takes blood, sweat, and literally tears and relentless 24-7 work. And if your partner's not alongside you, supporting you, picking you up when you're feeling down and seeing the vision that you have, one of the two's not going to work, i.e. the relationship won't work or your business won't work. It do, I just don't see it working any other way. And people have got to make a decision. You know, you've got to get your your partner on board, and they've got to be supportive of what you do. So, so my wife Louise is the most supportive person that I have, and you know, always builds me up, and vice versa. Um, and and lastly, it would be accountability and mentorship. So again, you know, I think it's natural as human beings we will at times check out of certain situations we take the easy option naturally we will take the easy option but the easy options within the comfort zone and we all know the cliche term the magic happens outside of that comfort zone so a mentor um keeps you accountable for what you say you want to achieve and if you don't do what you've said you want to achieve then they go a little bit andy frizzella on you and, uh, <laughs> and then you go back to, to doing what you need to do good Wise words. Now, lastly, what top three tips would you give to people who are new in property investment? Oh, good one. So, um, and again, I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably recreating some of the, the themes I've talked about already. The, the first one would be to become highly aware of the way you communicate and how you're perceived by others. Because communication 
in my opinion, is everything. How we communicate to people is absolutely key. People will make a decision on you as a person within seconds of meeting you purely based on eye contact. If you smile, what is your handshake like? What is your body language like? You know, if you're not sure about how you communicate with people or how your body language is when you communicate with people, then I think you maybe need to practice things. I'm not saying be fake. That's not the case at all. I'm saying you need to practice these things. You need to develop your communication skills to be able to communicate to different types of people in different environments because speaking to a vendor and being able to communicate with them and have rapport with them is totally different to speaking to a high net worth individual who have totally different values um, totally different communication styles but similarly the goal is to have rapport so you need to become aware of the way you communicate and how you're perceived by others and ask for feedback don't be afraid to ask for feedback on how you communicate and practice it um, as I said if you're not obsessed and passionate about business and property don't bother because there are going to be times that are really really hard and there are going to be times that you're not making money so what's keeping you going you've either got to have a huge why or you've got to be obsessed the last one would be, I think you've got to have a mentor. You've got to invest in your own personal development. You've got to be held accountable. But as I said before, it comes hand in hand with you can't just invest in your own personal development and do loads of courses without taking action. You've got to implement what you already know and then go again. Sam, I think this has been a fantastic podcast. There is tons of golden nuggets that you've given everyone. There's tons of experience that you have shared with us and you have a lot of wisdom mr spencer i must say Thank so you. this is um this has been awesome i've i've you know been sitting here taking notes and this has been a great podcast full stop um and i think you know the things you do and you say you know have a slight tone of andy frisella you know where it's kind of like, look life is tough it's hard work but just suck it up and mm -hmm. deal with it and i think people need to hear that so I'm so glad to have had you on and to kind of get a different view from you on, on property investment. Um, so let's Sam, we need to do this again. We should uh, meet up if you're ever down in London. Um, or if I'm if I'm ever up in, you know, the north, wherever you are. London is all just the north. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anything about Yeah, anything north. about, yeah, oh, yes, yeah, the north, yeah, too far. Out the <laughs> M25. Um, so we should definitely do that. And um, yeah, look, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Can I just say a massive thank you to Tej. Um, I love your podcast, as I said. And if anybody does want to contact me, they want to chat about anything, they want you know any advice or anything, follow me on Facebook, Sam Spencer, or facebook.com forward slash D Sam Spencer 1, I think it is. Um, the company Spencer Pacey Property. My email is sam at spencerpaceyproperty.com. Anyone wants to get in touch and speak to me, I'm more than happy to have a chat to you. Awesome. Hit him up, everyone. He is awesome. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.